1: hey guys and welcome back to another week of Your welcome radio i'm your host tori gordon founder of coachable i'm a corporate dropout and recovering people pleaser turn online entrepreneur speaker and self-love junkie and each week i bring you a thought or a guest to help you get inspired stay connected and slay your fear dragons so get ready to thank yourself for listening because you're welcome here You guys, I know I've been away for some time now. You're probably wondering where I've been, what's been occupying my time, and why I haven't been putting out episodes on the podcast. And I promise to give you all of the tea about what's been happening in my life. But for now, I wanted to give you a quick reminder about the Radiant Warrior Mastermind. This is my 12-week online group coaching program for women that are absolutely on fire and ready to take their personal development to the next level i'm currently in week five of the radiant warrior mastermind with four incredible women and i can honestly tell you it has been life changing for all of them in different ways and this is such a family a tribe of women that are linking arms And we are walking through life together, supporting one another and really just diving into the things that are really meaningful to all of us. And how can we strip away the things that don't matter to focus on what does? And that's what I get to do and facilitate in the Radiant Warrior Mastermind, the biggest And the most exciting thing that I can't wait to announce is the fact that I'm going to be hosting the first Radiant Warrior Retreat coming this spring. Yes, this is an in-person retreat for all the women that are currently going through the program, as well as the women that are going to be coming in in the next cohort. And this is an opportunity to dive into some truly life-changing, experiential personal development work where you're going to learn tactics, strategies, tools, and skills to get control over your breath, over your emotions, over your life, to put you back into the driver's seat and let you control the wheel of where you're headed and the life that you want to create. And my life was absolutely transformed when I participated in a retreat like this. So to have an opportunity to bring this type of experience to the women that are hungry and ready to know more about themselves experience life on a grander scale and to embrace new standards of living this is what i've been made to do and i am just so freaking excited um because the women that come are going to have an like life-changing experience with all of that said, if you have any interest in participating in the next round of the Radiant Warrior Mastermind or hopping on the Radiant Warrior Retreat coming this spring, then I want you to go to the link that will be in the show notes. It's also in the link in my bio on Instagram at Coach Tori Gordon and join the Radiant Warrior waitlist. This is the best way to find out all of the details about the retreat, get discounts, as well as know when enrollment opens. So please get your name on the waitlist. I'm only taking a select number of women this second round. And again, this is the only way that you can work with me in 2020 unless you are one of three private clients that i'm taking all year long so if you want to work with me this is the container to do it in so go ahead and jump on the wait list and when you do you'll receive my free find your why worksheet which will help you to determine what motivates you to accomplish anything in your life and really the why behind what it is that you do so go grab it and i look forward to working with you soon Hey guys, welcome back to another week of Your Welcome Radio. I am so excited to be in studio with Jesse T from the Jesse T show. If you haven't checked it out, be sure to check it out because he's amazing. He's not only a serial entrepreneur, dad, he is the founder of Alana's Angels, which is a nonprofit supporting families who've lost children from miscarriage all the way to adulthood. He also is the founder of 46 and 2 Wealth Partners. He is just an all-around amazing human being that Thank I've gotten so to much. know lately and really wanted to bring um, and highlight his story and really what it looks like to go from from the bottom to the top. Look, where are you now? What is it? Look from the bottom, now I'm here. Something
2: like Started that. At bottom, oh, now now here. Here. Yeah. Started at the bottom, now we're here. Started at the bottom, now we're here. Uh, there we go. Okay. We'll drop a little beat.
1: So welcome to the show. <laughs>
2: it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Glad. So
1: yeah. let's just jump right in. I want to know more about you. I have sort of an understanding of kind of what your journey has been like, but I want to tell listeners what it's been like for you over the past however many years. Sure. What's gotten you to be where you are in terms of so much success, um, not just professionally, but personally. Uh, So tell us a little bit about what that journey has been
2: like. Sure. And thanks so much for your viewers and listeners for having me. Um, I'll try not to screw this one up. So, (laughs) so yeah, so, so Jesse T uh, from Boston, Massachusetts, I grew up um, very humbly, um, grew up with no money, lots of love, but didn't, you know, didn't know we were poor, but we were definitely poor. And I would learn these things throughout life. And so that was a narrative for me, and becoming an investment advisor and a, and a coach to people and showing them how to live their best life through financial planning, the narrative was I was growing up without, so I wanted to learn the, the true wisdom of wealth. And then eventually I learned that I was a leader and a coach because I'm a student, so I'd be able, I'm able to give back. And I was I learned that um, my calling was to educate people on how to live their best lives through financial planning. Because growing up poor in Boston, I've seen a lot of shit. And so some of those things, um, just for some context, were... Um, had a, my mom and dad were never married. They were prior marriage before they had me. And so, uh, it was a single mom upbringing. One of my sisters, I have two sisters, both from previous marriages with my mom and dad. One of them lived with me. And so very humbly grew up with not a lot. Uh, we had a great apartment that was like right in front of the beach. So that felt like we were doing okay. But you know, there was times in, in Boston where I grew up, where it gets super cold and super snowy and frozen. Mm-hmm. We would go without heat. I remember one time um, my mom, she was into like candle making or something weird at that time and she had left candles on her in the stove and we were using this, the stove as our only source of heat and at one point on a Saturday morning, my dogs were barking, going crazy, like intruder alert, intruder alert, like something happened where the, the dogs were just going nuts in the house and I just wanted to sleep and I was like maybe 13, 14, I hadn't started working quite yet and um, I'm like yelling, shut up, shut up, shut up and like they wouldn't shut up so I figured something was wrong so I got out of bed and opened the door and I saw a plume of smoke outside of my door. I'm like, what is going on? So I ended up walking into the kitchen and more smoke. And as I got closer to the stove, it was like billowing out the top of the stove, like plume of smoke hitting the ceiling and made the ceiling black. And so I wasn't really thinking. So I opened the stove a little bit and a fireball shot up from inside the stove and like touched the ceiling. It's like, okay, 911. Just kidding. Yeah. So I called the fire department. They came, they put it out. And it made me realize at that point, number one, I'm very thankful to be alive, and that's a narrative of my story as well. Uh, We'll talk about, it's uh, something I believe in called Memento Mori, which is an old Stoic philosophy, and it talks about know that you're mortal, know that you're going to die, but knowing this information, live your best life every single day, because you're not guaranteed another second. So that was kind of instilled in me there, and also was instilled that we didn't have a lot of money to pay for things, so I needed to learn how to make money. Sure. So growing up... um, entrepreneurial minded, you know, isn't the norm for a lot of people, but I would, I was into comic books and action figures and sports. Uh, so I would buy, sell and trade those things. Um, I would shovel snow for money sometimes for a cup of hot chocolate if I got gypped, which <laughs> happened. Um, but I had this entrepreneurial knack and it didn't come from anyone that I saw. Like there was no one in front of me, um, because I didn't have a really great example of that in front of me. I had, as I got older, I learned to have people throughout my family, you know, in the, and the periphery That were entrepreneurs, but that wasn't in my face. So this was very natural for me. Um, there would be times where I would set up these little self created carnival games for my friends. Like they would win a prize, like a stuffed animal and they'd pay me like a quarter. And so like I had this weird kind of fascination with like creating things and making money and being, you know, around people. Um, but there's a lot of speed bumps I think people can relate to through the story that have helped me become who I am today, which is a super grateful human being, uh, someone who believes in abundance, someone who believes in relationships and leaving the world a little bit of a better place if possible. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want that to sound pompous, but every interaction, every micro interaction that I come across people, I want that to be like a, a highlight of their day if mm-hmm. possible and vice versa. But uh, there's some a lot of, a lot of negatives that I've, I've faced. So going through school, I was bullied for years. Uh, there was a group of kids that would just jump me every day after school, and it was weird because I didn't really, and this isn't a pride thing, I'd re- I never had, like, a bloody nose, and never was, like, crying, like, but I would just, like, walk home from school, and, like, they would, like, take shots at me, and, like, mm-hmm. before I learned how to fight and protect myself and all this stuff, like, I got my ass kicked for years, and so some resiliency was built there, um, and and physical toughness, mental toughness, right, so, after I learned how to defend myself and all that stuff kind of subsided, some other things I've, I've seen in my life were, that were very impactful um, was dealing with a dad, my dad and mom, who we were never married, but my dad was a 40 year heroin addict. And so there was a lot of mental, emotional scarring that happen, happened there, um, where not having a dad around sucks in the first place, but not having a dad around that is known in a very small city as a junkie. Sure. Um, I carried a lot of shame around from being bullied and from having that, my dad. um, But I always longed for him. I always longed for his relationship because he wasn't there. And so that also also instilled in me that I needed to be a great dad when I grew up. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about that later. Thank God that happened. But So I saw that, and living with my mom, um, I started working pretty early, 13, 14 years old, summer jobs. And then into high school, there was a co-op program where I could work basically almost a full-time job. In my senior year of high school, I worked at – this company is called Massport. Massport oversees all of the operations at Logan Airport. So I worked at the airport as a kid, which was really cool. Yeah,
1: I did and, that co-op program. Yeah, too.
2: similar. What, what was it that you did? I
1: worked at a restaurant. Okay, so yeah, most people, <laughs> but most I was kids. Just looking to get out of school and <laughs> right?
2: make some money. Most kids do that, yeah. right? And so I would go to school for like three or four classes. I'd be done by like 11, and then I would run over by noon. And then like from noon to like 5, mm-hmm. I'd work like 25, 30 hours a week. So another way to pull in money, uh, another way to kind of build a career, right? And so, you know, always ambitious, always entrepreneurial, always kind of hustling, but had some serious, serious negative influences in my life that spurred me into doing other things. And so I started, you know, college when I was 17. I was going to a community college, didn't know what I wanted to do, just kind of muddling my way through. I think I started off with like kinesiology because I was into fitness and like, but business always attracted me. And so I ended up going the business route. Um, but during college, you know, you start seeing, you're introduced to more people and some of my friends that I've had from before when I was younger and then met new in college were doing some flashy things and they were, you know, had nice cars and motorcycles and, you know, they were going out, spending tons of money every weekend at the clubs, like, you know, that young and dumb kind of stuff. Right. And so once I started realizing kind of what they were into, a lot of these people were selling drugs and all different kinds. And so for me, a poor kid, I was like, man, I want those things. Like, how do I get those things? Mm-hmm. I was like, this is another avenue. So I, I, ca- I continued to work, but I also started selling drugs. And so the first drug I sold was completely innocuous these days is marijuana, weed, pot, whatever. Um, and, and, but the entrepreneurial side of me would have people, I had people working for me. So I had people that would go out and sell weed and they could either make money or take some weed and then bring me back money. Mm-hmm. So like I would do my own stuff. I would sell on the side, but also I had people selling for me. So there's like this little entrepreneur that kept like building inside of me, even though it wasn't like the the most legal of ways.
1: Sure, but you just like always spotted opportunities.
2: Yeah, basically. always, always, yeah, and that came from a initially when I was younger, a lack of scarce, uh, a a lot of scarcity, I should Mm -hmm. say, like not having things like food or heat or like made me want to not go without. Right. And I wanted to live that life. Like I wanted to enjoy life. What I thought was fun at the time, which a lot of it was like materialistic. That transitioned into a season of, um, it was kind of like fun, and like whatever, and then it got really super serious because I went from selling weed to selling what was called, or what is called OxyContin. And OxyContin is heroin and a pill, essentially. Um, the money, it was way more money, but it was way more stakes. Um, you know, it was, if you got caught doing that, you're going to jail kind of thing, uh, versus maybe with the weed, they might let you off with a warning, so to speak. And so, um, <clears throat> for me, it was chasing the money. It was being in a relationship It was very materialistic and having to keep that end of the bargain up where like buying new you know purses or new clothes whatever the case was and again not having a lot of the right guidance right and so but it was all on me the onus was on me and so i ended up doing that for about a year maybe a year and a half and after about a year and a half i started actually delving into my own supply and so i was living with my dad at the time my mom had moved back to kentucky where she's from she gave me the ultimatum saying hey you want to come move with me or do you want to go live with your dad the reason why I went with my dad was, number one, I was from Boston, a place called Eastie. If you're from Eastie, like you're Eastie through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like Southie, like Southie's the Irish yep. part, Eastie was like the Italian part. Yeah. And so um, I couldn't leave Eastie. Also, um, I was in a relationship with, with someone who would become my ex-wife. So I was in a very serious relationship. And long What's story, on? yeah, long story short. I'm um, curious, yeah.
1: before you go on, when you were kind of rising in the ranks in terms of the seriousness of your dealing mm-hmm. and your business and the money you're making and all that like was there any part of you that was asking like is this worth it?
2: Mm-hmm. Every day every interaction every, every deal that I went on myself and did myself it was always worried the first thing was self preservation am I going to get pinched is what we call that. am I going to get busted um, am I hurting other people like I knew I was but in my mindset, I justified it like, "Hey, they're making this decision; they're gonna go get it somewhere." And so, always had that mindset of I knew I was doing something wrong, but I would always make excuses to overcome it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where my head was. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I was just curious. So none of those voices were big enough to be.
2: Not at the time. A reason
1: for you? Because to
2: stop? because uh, mentally, I was immature, um, and I was trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Like sure. you know, so. For me, I had kind of fell into the trap, or put myself into the trap, and, and wanted to be there. And so, yeah, at that time, even though I knew I was doing wrong and it wasn't a good thing to be doing, I, I would I would drown those noises out with certain things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what happened after that?
2: So with the the oxycontin, um, and for those that don't know, it's a huge epidemic, especially in Massachusetts. It's like one of the worst places for like heroin. Hmm. Oxycontin, all the different kind of opiates that you can take Um, and so like I was in the in the middle of it And then with having my dad who was out doing heroin every day and seeing this now firsthand living with him I started justifying it and so Eventually one of my friends that was also Selling for me he was actually selling so that he could support his habit because he was using the the OCS or Oxycontin and Hanging out with him enough all the time eventually I started partaking And then eventually I became addicted. And I became addicted to OxyContin. And eventually that habit got so expensive, the alternative was to stop the habit, Mm -hmm. which wasn't an alternative essentially at the time because you're so addicted. Right. Physically, mentally, whatever. And then, or go do heroin. And so traded in one habit for the other. Did heroin for about six months. Um, And there's a story that we talked about before we jumped on today of how when I was doing drugs, I would have dreams of a better life. I would have dreams of not being addicted, not being a junkie, whatever the taboo stuff is. And then I'd wake up back to my nightmare, so to speak, and I'd be living this hell. Right. But there was always this voice in the back of my head that was saying, This isn't your life. This isn't where you need to go. So, like, what get your it shit was... together. Yeah. Like, what they if? Things look differently. Yeah. Like, yeah. what would you, what could you be doing right now? And like, I, I felt like a big sense of me failing myself and failing others. I felt, um, you know, again, not worthy kind of thing. And, like, I just didn't like those feelings. So in my mother's behest or um, she stressed the importance because she was was prior service. She was Army. My mom, badass. Um, And I had military members in my family, and she stressed the importance of basically, like, the military can save your life. Like, get out. Go join the military. And get off of drugs and like change your life this could be a good step for you
1: yeah cause after- what, it provides a lot of structure for sure and
2: a place to live a place to eat
1: and where you can't have access to any of this other right stuff. Right, and
2: yeah. it would move me away from being in that the, the trap so sure. to speak the trap sounds like a rap song <laughs> Well the trap so um, so, <laughs> so I ended up joining the Navy um, in 2004 early 2004 I was in boot camp in April of 2004 and I took to it like a dolphin to the ocean so to speak right now it's like pun intended with the navy (laughs) but i did and i had the structure i had the confidence i had the um i was able to thrive again because i grew up playing sports and i grew up like with accolades and i had that that feeling of belonging again i had that feeling of purpose again Something to work for yeah something to 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 live for because it really was And so in boot camp, I did really well. There was 70, I was in an all-male division, which sounds sexist, but it was just how they did it. An all-male division, which was like, it was only dudes, it was only dudes that had done well in the physical part and it was dudes who have done well in the ASVAB, which was the entry test to the military. So it was like the cream of the crop, right? And so in that, I ended up going from like, there was 70, they started off I think with 90 total cadets or whatever you wanna call them, recruits, and whittled down to about the mid 70s by the time we were done. But in that time I had experienced a little bit more glory or success because they made me what was called the recruit chief petty officer, which was the one that ran the whole thing for a while of all the cadets, like marching them down the road to go to like eat and to go to do different things. But I couldn't handle the responsibility because I had no leadership skills at the time. So I fucked it up. And they ended up moving me to the second in command, which was called the Master at Arms, which was the one who would go around the, the birthing, uh, which is basically like where you sleep. It's like a dorm room with like 70 dudes. And you got to make sure that like everybody's squared away with like their clothes and like their lockers and their gear. And so, again, more like responsibility made me feel good. So I get through boot camp, go into uh, my first active duty station, which was Norfolk, Virginia Beach, still far enough away from Boston where like I get away from that life. And about two years into my service, uh, I get a phone call and saying, "Hey, your mom's sick. She has cancer." I know you've been through this before, and it's like
1: that's the worst phone
2: call. Horrific, horrific. And so I'm like, "Well, what does that fucking even mean? Like, is she is she dying now?" Right. Like, well, she has stage three C. She's about to go into surgery. Uh, it started off as ovarian cancer. And 3C, for those who, who don't know, is one step away technically from terminal cancer, which is like stage four and beyond.
1: Yeah, and when this is the first <coughs> time you've ever gotten a phone call like
2: mm-hmm. that, it's mm-hmm. also
1: like a foreign language to you. You're like, what the hell does 3C mean? Yeah. And like, is she dying today? Like, Because yep. your mind goes so many places. Yeah?
2: All I heard was cancer. Right. And I immediately perk up. Being my mother's son, being her, being my focal point as a parent, like we had this bond that was deeper maybe than some others, um, because she served as my father. She served as the disciplinarian. Like she was, she did everything she could to raise me right which she did for the most part i screwed up right i'm sure and, of respect yeah absolutely and even some fear too because like when it came time for punishment like she'd be like go pick your belt and like yeah. belts range because she was in a fashion belts range from like skinny oh, yeah. to like this and after a while i'd be like fuck you i'd go pick the biggest belt and like do your best <laughs> right <laughs> got my ass kicked enough throughout life like, it didn't even bother me anymore <clears throat> anyway so i get the call and i'm like i run to my commanding officer and i'm like hey need to go to Boston. Right now, my mom's dying. And they're like, okay, whatever. And they figured out, for what, I don't remember what the reason was. It was a while back. I don't how to keep this record in my mind. But I didn't have any leave that I could take. So I was like, shit, I can't go see my mom. She's going to die. And I wasn't having that. Like that rebellious, that entrepreneur, like gonna I'm going to go do my here. own thing. So I ran to the chaplain. And like I'm like, I just as a therapy session, in a sense, I'm like throwing up all over the table saying, what do I need to do? Blah, blah, blah. I can't go. He's like, well, I can't give you the authority to go. He's like, but you got to do what's in your heart. And I'm like, he's telling me to go. <laughs> that's, though, all yeah, is, yeah. that's all I need. That's all I Even is. though he's saying yeah. you can't, he's like giving me like the wink, right? And so yep. <laughs> I ended up like taking a plane. Because at the time, being in the Navy, uh, just from some context, it was almost more like a job than it was actually being in the military. We were Our ship was in dry dock, which meant this huge aircraft carrier that I was on was on stilts. And like I went to a job every day. I wasn't out to sea. I wasn't out fighting a war. Right. And so in my mind, I was like, I'm going to leave my job and go up, to see my mom and come back down.
1: I'm not leaving my buddies yeah. on the
2: front line. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. You like know? I didn't, I didn't desert in my not mind. In my mind, I, I chose my mom over, um, the job in my mind. Right. right. And so I ended up going to Boston. I went technically AWOL for two weeks. Um, but I needed to make sure she was Okay. And to me, I, I would, again, deal with the repercussions, like, coming back. Mm-hmm. So went up there. She had gone through her surgery. They had taken out her ovaries. They had did, did everything they needed to do. And, you know, I'm talking about, and I just broke down. Like, this, this tough image that I carried for a while being a drug dealer, this, like, I know better than, like, all this stuff. I looked at my mom, and I just, like, came to tears. And I couldn't believe that I thought I saw my mom laying on her deathbed. Right. So, long story short, ended up going back to uh, Virginia Beach, which is where I was stationed, Norfolk, technically, and, um, you know, got my penance, which was restriction, which is 30 days, you have to stay on the ship, they dock your pay by half, Um, and so, you know, I served out the rest of my military career, and um, when I moved back to Boston, I ended up um, falling back into old habits. So for six more months when I moved back to Boston, everybody was either doing the same thing, selling drugs, doing drugs. I had friends that were dying, that were in jail. Like, it was just Mm -hmm. rough. And no excuse, but I ended up just saying, you know what, I'm gonna go back to old habits. Was in a really toxic relationship, so I used the drugs as like a coping mechanism for coping mechanisms that I wouldn't even like know what that word meant until I was older. Yeah. Until I built them when I put the work in.
1: Well, and I just, I'm listening to this, and it's a lot that you've been through. Um... And I can't help but think from an outsider's perspective, you know, what's going to be rock bottom? What yeah. You like turn it around.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, look at you now. It just, there has been a huge, For sure. huge turnaround. Yep. But, you know, you think, okay, is it going to be that I go off to the Navy and I realize, you know, I want to get cleaner? Is it my mom's dying and yep. now I want to get cleaner? You got to go back and like what all these things are like these little open opportunities for you to, to yep. do it. Yeah. Signs. Yeah. yeah. And then here you go. And now you're you're back in it again.
2: I was too stubborn and I was too immature. None of those things hit me the way they should have. Mm-hmm. And so. Um,
1: well, and that's just what, it, it. you know, for it's every it's different for everybody, you know, and the what is the wake up. Yeah. Like the moment where you're like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. I gotta do something different.
2: So yeah, so that, that came for me about six months after being back in Boston from the Navy. So I ended up going right back to old habits. Mm-hmm. I think I stayed clean for a little while, but then I was around the same people and made right. the same excuses and got back to doing heroin. This time instead of snorting heroin, I was shooting heroin for six months. Mm-hmm. So I became my dad, which was really interesting because my dad, who had done heroin for 40 years, he ended up becoming clean for the last 10 or 12 years of his life, became a really great dad, became a really, as good as he could be, became a really great uh, grandfather, we called him puppetee to my kids. Mm. It was great to see that, but at the time I became my dad and for me, in a really messed up way, I understood my dad mm-hmm. way more than I ever had because I always hated him, I always had, held a grudge against him. Um, but then I realized what he had been through and I was like, shit, like, I loved him more because of that in a really weird way. Like, so six months later, um, I had reached out to my sister Bridget, my sister Jennifer, who came from separate marriages so they didn't really connect. They, they, they didn't come together for this. Like I kind of like quietly went to each of them singularly and said, hey, I need help. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to Bridget. She, she gave me money for a bus ticket, a Greyhound ticket to go down to Georgia, which is where Jennifer lived. And Jennifer opened up her home to me. She said, you can come live down here for as long as you need, You know, change the scenery, get away. And that was the, the linchpin that I needed. So it wasn't necessarily a moment or an event, it was all these things that had built up to like realizing this wasn't the life I ever wanted, this was not who I truly was. Mm-hmm. I had so much to give to the world, and so much to receive to the world from the world that I needed to just get away. And so uh, in the spring of 2006, I got high one last time, packed up some really old luggage from my grandfather that <laughs> was terrible, right? And ended up putting as much stuff in there as I could, and I took, took a 30-hour 30, 30 Greyhound bus ride from Boston to Georgia. Dang. And um, it was the last time I got high, and I ended up, uh, we were talking about this story before the show, but, like, I'm about six one, six two, and, like, anybody who's probably taller than 5'8", 5'9", knows that being on a bus, especially Greyhound, like, it's not a comfortable situation, right? Yeah. And underneath the seat in front of me, there's, like, these little metal crossbars, and so I'd fall asleep in the chair, and, like, I'd, like twitch and like kick the the metal bars and I'm yeah. like it was just like this weird last like little pain in the ass or pain in the leg to like say okay you're done. Yeah. So I get to Georgia and life just completely turned around from there. I went cold turkey. It really wasn't that big of a deal. I don't want to sound like a tough guy, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, cold turkey, not a huge issue. Um, yeah.
1: But y- that's interesting to me because yeah. I don't, I haven't talked to a ton of people that have gone through what you've gone through, but what i know about getting clean is that it can be really brutal absolutely brutal extremely difficult so for you to say that is is really like not surprising i don't think that's the word but it it speaks to something which is you'd made a decision Mm -hmm. like there was a choice that it made it's like i'm done yeah because your life changes when you decide yeah and it's not just on accident. You're like, oh, I think I might get clean today. Yep.
2: You know what I mean? Yep. It's 100% mindset, and that's a huge... I'm a huge proponent these days about mindset. I talk about it in uh, conversation. I talk about it on my podcast. I talk about it in life in general, and we'll talk about it late, as we go down later on in the conversation, but my mindset had shifted back to it's time to be who you were always meant to be. It's time to, like, leave childish things behind, leave bad behaviors behind, and grow the fuck up.
1: And you probably didn't even... You weren't thinking like this then. of no. Like, oh, I'm going to make this choice. and my No clue. Final, you know, <laughs> but it's just hindsight, yeah. you know. That's what happened. And that's what literally turned things around for you. Yeah. So you got down here. in
2: 2006, moved to Ackworth, Georgia. Oh, yeah. Coming from the city and had no clue what it's to expect. Pop in place. You know it wasn't but atlanta was yeah. and so like being single being fresh out from like boston like completely how old are you right now? so I'll, I'll be 38 in a couple of weeks but not what, even
1: at this time yeah okay it's happening
2: oh uh, shit so what 13 years ago so 24-ish okay about to be 25 and so I had the world in front of me and like I had a new lease on life how could i not be excited i was like freaking so excited like going out seeing the city whatever Got my first job down here, which was a sales job, and that turned my whole career into what it is today. So this job was it was an outside sales job. It was working on commission. It was cold calling. Okay. And it was selling tickets for like the Atlanta Braves or the Hawks or like spa packages. It was like Groupon before Groupon was a big deal. Okay. And uh, we would go out with these packages and we would be like, Hey, my name's Jesse, I'm stopping by behalf of the Atlanta Braves. Da-da-da-da-da. Go through a whole pitch yep. and start selling. And I took to that again like a fish to water like i completely crushed it i love talking to people my work ethic was insane i had i, I was the, the the terminology we used to use back in the day was phd poor hungry determined i was poor hungry and determined as <laughs> fuck like i was ready to whatever go whatever it takes yeah so i went out Started selling pretty much right away. The first thing I sold was uh, these Hilton Head Island packages that were tied to a timeshare. Ah, oh,
0: nice. Yeah,
2: yeah. So three days, two nights, fifty bucks. You and a loved one could go to Hilton Head, ride the bikes, like whatever, <laughs> all that stuff. And like, sell me on it right now. I crushed it. And like, I learned that I was really good at sales. Yeah. And it was the enthusiasm. It was like I was, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. Like I didn't understand the really? rejection side yeah. of it. Yeah. Like like I wasn't turned off by people telling me no or no soliciting or whatever. And I also found a community of people which they were young, they were vibrant, they were excited. It was like other people like my age, like you'd walk in in the morning, the music was on, stuff was happening. It was super cool. Um, and within, you know, after that responsibility, like once you sell, you can show that you could sell, you have the responsibility of teaching other people. And that's where my teaching came in. And so that leadership that I had tasted in the boot camp in the military and some of it in the military, I had really thrived on it because now I could teach other people how to be successful. And that took off really well. And so within three months of starting this business and never doing sale legal sales before <laughs> I should say that right. Yeah. Um, I had a team of people. It's like eighteen, eighteen people that I had brought on wow. like myself, like seven, eight, or nine, and like they brought on some people. And so we started building this team. And then after three months, my then friend, who is now my wife, Alicia, and now then uh, business connection Christina who is now Auntie Christina to our kids they were running the local office here in Atlanta together they came up to me in December of 2006 I had only been doing this for a few months and they said listen we have an opportunity in Charlotte North Carolina and we're gonna go up have a new office you get to be like the top person there and help the owner which was my wife at the time and um, you know, not at the time, she's my wife now, but like at the time, build this company and you'll have like all the recruits that you need. You'll have all the opportunity to build a market. You'll go out and you'll do really well if you keep doing what you've done here. And so I didn't have anything really tied down. I mean, I was here for three months in Georgia and I was chasing the dragon. I was chasing the opportunity of success. Right. So I ended up picking up with Alicia and one other person, her name's Anna and she's another family friend to this day. Like we have all these great relationships because of this company. We moved to Charlotte and we opened up the Charlotte market. Three Three months. In three months in this company, yeah. Yeah, but I had no ties. Like, I was just here. I was ready to go. I was chasing, like, a career.
1: But it's just crazy how quickly things started to change. Yeah, so fast,
2: yeah. It changed as soon as I left Boston. Like, overnight, life was different. I could breathe again. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to Charlotte, uh, building another team, and this time it took me about a year to build what was called my assistant management team where we would go on a run for a couple weeks, show that we had the production to basically get qualified to open up our own office. And so we did it. We, we, we qualified, I became an assistant manager, so now I left the field, I didn't sell as much anymore. I would come into the office and learn the business side of things, learn how to run an office, how to do the recruiting and the training and the interviewing of all the people we had to talk to because it was a high turnover. There was a lot of people that would come in, get started and like a week later quit because it was hard, it wasn't easy. It was like the Navy SEALs training for sales. Yeah. And it's completely served me to this day. And so did, just like
1: <laughs> an uptick from door to door. Right. It's like, it what? is door to
2: door. Yeah. There was yeah. No, it was the same thing. Right. It was like, I would literally have 25 of these little Groupon card type things to walk out. And like, I would go pick a territory wherever I was and go sell the shit out of them mm-hmm. all day long, make a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks. It was great. So get into Charlotte was there for a little while had the opportunity to open up my own office. The first company I opened up was JLT Marketing and it was very self-serving, Jesse Lee Tadisco. Marketing stood for MA, Massachusetts, like it was a really dumb name to come up with. So Jesse Lee Tadisco Marketing is what it, and Associates was what it was, JLT Marketing. And we crushed it for like a long time. And so like I'm making money hand over, hand over fist, like this poor kid from Boston that never really had true money. I went out and bought the car and got the stuff and the clothes and like having fun, but, I never really was in control of my money, and that was still the narrative from before. And so, like, I'm still learning about money at this point. I'm learning how to do things with it that I could never do before. And so, again, that became a motivation for me. But I ended up running that business for about three years with my wife. Um, and she took a back seat, so she was no longer the owner. She would be the, she was a product specialist, so she'd go out and she'd sign new clients for my team to sell. So, like, if we wanted to sell, you know, the local spa or the local golf course, she would go – She would sign them up, and then my team would go and sell them. So we had this symbiosis working together, and it was great. Um, And then life took a turn. So about three years into this, um, Alicia and I get pregnant. And at the time, as they say in the South here, we were living in sin because we weren't married. And so we just got knocked up, right? And so she gets pregnant, and we have a full, healthy pregnancy, and then it's time to deliver. And we're going to have a girl. Her name's Alana Marie. And um, it's time to deliver Alana Marie. So we go to the hospital, and we're in labor. She's I say we because it's very, mm-hmm. you know, but she was in labor for 40 hours, which is a long time. Yeah, She's very holistic, very health and wellness-minded. She didn't want to have a, um, an epidural. So um, she ends up coming out, our daughter, Alana Marie, comes out injured at delivery, and so immediately goes into the NICU, which is ICU for, for the babies, and our whole world stops. We go from... This young, successful couple, like the world in front of us, starting a family Mm -hmm. to like another huge pinnacle moment of holy shit, life just got really real, really quick. Right. And so they don't know what happened, but she was injured to delivery. Uh, She wouldn't have survived without life support. And so after seven days, we Mm -hmm. had to make a decision do we keep our daughter on life support for however long she's gonna live, or do we let her go? Right. So we made the decision to let her go. And so what that looked like was they took her off the machines. And they were amazing, by the way. The people that were in the NICU, they were angels. Uh, They were so accommodating. They were so nice. They did so many things to try to make the time special for us. And so we took her off life support and I held her in my arms until she passed away. And in the movies, it's very romantic. It's quick. People fade away. They close their eyes. It's wonderful, but it's all made for TV. And it's pretty fast. Like In my purview it felt like it was 10 to 15 minutes of just her Mm -hmm. like trying to fight because we're fighters like in our family in so many ways. She's trying to fight for life, but she just wouldn't survive. And so after that, we let her go. She passed away. And for those that are listening, that are into business, that are building business, that are scaling something, when you have life events like that, there's no precedent for how to respond. So for me, it was work harder. Put myself, immerse myself further like most people would probably do. Try to just like, Cover up the feel, Yeah. Sweeping shit under the rug. Eventually this thing came through kind of thing. Oh, my God.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I totally relate (laughs) to that. We did the same thing with my sister. I don't know if I ever told you that, but we had to take my sister off life support in the same way. Um, So I understand what that experience is like. But more than that, yeah, when you get these phone calls and when you have these things that happen, it's unplanned and you never are prepared for it, right. you know what I mean? And it just stops you in your tracks. And for so many of us, our response is just distract, stay busy, yep. dig your heels in, and work, yeah, like you said, work harder, because it's so much we don't know. If we were to actually look, look at ourselves in feel the feelings, I think for many of us, we don't know what would happen yep. because it's that intense.
2: Most people stay busy cause they don't want to feel the feelings. Yeah. 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 Um, so <clears throat> for me, we were working 60, 70 hours a week prior building the business. Mm-hmm. We went more towards like 80, 90, hundred some weeks. Mm-hmm. And after three months of being depressed is what full blown depression, right? Full blown, not paying attention to it um i didn't even want to get out of bed in the morning and i had to go and stand in front of a team of 30 to 40 people and inspire them to go take a hundred no's every day eat a ton of crap going door to door so i started feeling a little bit like a fraud and i wasn't fit to lead fit fit to serve in that capacity so we made a decision um alicia and i she's from georgia we were living in charlotte north carolina you know i had some family that were moved down to be close to us my sister bridget my nephew Peter, my brother-in-law Renato. We had a lot of friends out there, a lot of people that we had built relationships with. But for me, um, I really wanted Alicia to get back to being close to her family, which is here in Georgia. And so we decided to shut down the business, um, and we turned over some of it to an assistant manager who took the rest and started running it. And uh, we we just shut down our company, and we and just our stopped. yeah, we just stopped because we needed to. Like mm-hmm. we were gonna like we were already depressed. We needed to fix ourselves. And so we shut down the company, we moved from Charlotte, we came back to Georgia, um, and our mindset was getting closer to her family, which would be a huge support system, because I couldn't even imagine, like, I've seen this as a dad, like, I didn't birth Alana, like, I didn't have Alana live in me for nine months, like, as much as I could say as, as a dad and how much I love my kids, like, I don't know what that feels like. So in my mind, I wanted her to be able to be closer to her family for support. So we get back here. Also, what the play was, it was um, instead of working up to 100 hours a week, we would work part-time, and we work 40, 50 hours a week for somebody else. So not having the stress in the, the the pull as being an entrepreneur, not having to deal with you know making payroll or all these different things, we just wanted to kind of take it easy. And so in 2010, we came back to Georgia, um, and then I found out my mother was getting closer to she was gonna be passing soon. And so I just really had to do a reset, like what do I wanna do in this life? What drives me? What inspires me? And it was weird because business and finance kept coming back up for me. And so I did a quick six months at a company called Paychecks, which is somewhat finance, Um, but I was recruited during that time uh, to a bank. And the bank had a relationship with Paychex as referral partners. So if you worked at Paychex and I worked at the bank, we'd come together once every few weeks and say, who do you know that we can refer business back and forth? After doing that enough times through Paychex and my uh, relationship with them, I was getting recruited to go work in the bank. And this was serendipity because it was, I wanted to learn more about finance. I wanted to basically be in banking and grow there. And so that's where my finance career started in 2011. So 2011 till present day, I've been in finance about eight, nine years And it started off as being a retail banker, helping people with their deposits and loans and lines of credit and different banking day-to-day stuff. And it quickly grew into a branch manager position where I was leading people again and training people and developing people, still selling. And then it turned into a business banker position. So now I got into the business realm where I could help companies do these things. And then it turned into a VP role, which means nothing anymore, it's just a title. But basically the VP role, I ended up at SunTrust where um, I was part of a team of nine people and the nine people were chosen out of 150 branch managers to be the, like the new thought leaders for the up and coming like changes at SunTrust, and it was called uh, the Atlanta Crew, the ATL Crew. And we were in charge of like sales ideas for the front lines. We were in charge of like different things, and so. Kind of had that entrepreneurial flair to it where there was some creative, but I still was working for somebody else and I didn't love banking. <clears throat> and just for some context, like I wasn't as healthy as I wanted to be. I was probably drinking a little bit more than I should have been. You know, again, hadn't touched drugs since 2006, mm-hmm. whatever, but I, you know, I, I didn't have healthy habits.
1: And during this time with everything that happened to yeah, and then your mom, yep. and then in the business, and then getting back and doing all this other stuff with the banking stuff, yep. was there ever a time? Like, when y'all cut back from 80, 100 hours to, like, 30 to 40, yeah. was there not just so much, like, what do we do with ourselves? Because yeah. it really created that space yep. to heal. Yep. But for some, it's like, were you crawling out of your skin to to do something? Or was, was it... Like okay, we this is the time we've needed, yep. and we're ready to actually. It was both feel it. It
2: was both. It was the time we needed, but it was also things were starting to eke out again from the creative side, and like always wanting to go back to being an entrepreneur um, and working for myself that never left. And so we actually just for some context, Alicia and I, we ended up um, doing therapy. We did. It started off the first iteration was leadership coaching for Jesse. Like how do I become a better leader in my bank, and how do I become a better leader in my community, and blah 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 blah. Yeah, disguised as. I'm a frightened little kid that needs some fucking help. Please counsel me. And I found this amazing guy. His name's Kevin Daly. He's a Christian counselor here in Georgia. He runs a company called Broken Chains International, um, and that turned into couples counseling and coaching because we were fucked. We didn't know each other's love languages. We didn't know any of this sure, stuff.
1: y'all have been surviving. Since we
2: were surviving. You
1: got pregnant.
2: Yeah, we were surviving, and I had been surviving my whole life. Yeah, we were. Exactly. Yeah, like no, 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 no coping mechanisms <laughs> exactly. to speak of. Like just like, how do I live? And. Um, it made a huge change for us. And so we started to go through that together and develop together. And we got pregnant again. Um, this time was a miscarriage. And so, like, we're like, shit, like, are we ever gonna have kids? And kind of going through this season, we ended up getting pregnant a third time. And the third time we got pregnant with our son, Grayson. And at the time, when we found out we were pregnant, for those that didn't truly know, like we, we would tell, we would always share our story, but some people who didn't know our story, didn't think about it, would be like, oh, you guys, you're excited. Like, what are you going to have? And like, that wasn't the question. The question was like, are we going to have a healthy kid? Right. An alive kid. And in my mind, I was, you know, we're, we're very like careful to wait until the first trimester is over, because after the first trimester, there's a lot more uh, viability for a successful pregnancy. Mm-hmm. We found out these things as we went along. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, But I knew well before we knew we were having a boy, something was put on my heart. And Alicia, she's super big and she's Christian and to God. And I'm kind of finding my way with all that. And she was like, um, you know, this could have been the Holy Spirit coming over you. But I was praying and I said, God, please, because I grew up Catholic and I grew up around the church. And so I had that structure, but I didn't believe in the Catholic side, the religion side. I believe in God and Jesus and all this stuff. So anyway, so I'm, I'm praying one day in the shower and I say, God, please, please put your grace on my son. And this is before we knew we were going to have a son. I just said it. Just Something came over me. Mm-hmm. And then we found out like a few days or a week later that we were going to have a son. But that name and that prayer, put your grace on my son, became grace. how Grayson. Yeah, it's not spelled. It's spelled differently, but Grayson is because of that prayer, I guess. Huh. And so we have a five-and-a-half-year-old, crazy, unbelievable, smart, nutty, uh, funny, analytical little guy named Grayson. And, and then we had a second son who's William Anthony. He took the more traditional route. William is her dad. Anthony was my dad. And we, we honored them. Um, and so now he's three and a half and he's, he's amazing. And so it's like having those two losses, Alana and Nugget, who was our miscarriage, Nugget, and then having Grayson and William put everything into perspective. Life is short. Life isn't guaranteed. And that was part of the whole memento mori thing. Mm-hmm. Live your best life. Like, like, If you were to die today, would you be happy with your life?
1: You're speaking my, like, my language, because that was my story, you know what I mean? And I think that's why you and I hit it off so quickly, is because we understand each other in that way, that when you, whether it's you have an experience loss, or something that really gives you that perspective shift on life, that... Right now is all that we have, and you stop wasting time. You stop saying, I don't have time to waste, and what am I doing right now? Do I like who I am right now? Yep. And you realize that you've got the power to make a different choice if that answer is no. Yep. And what sucks is that for so many of us, it takes things like that. Hmm for us to have that understanding. Um, But at the same time, I don't know if you would say this, but I would not trade anything that I've been through because it taught me that lesson. Like every loss, every difficult situation that was just so painful, you don't think you're ever gonna come out of it. Those are the things that taught me how to live. Like,
2: death taught me what it means to 100%, actually live. 100%. Yeah. It has. And I've, I've held death in my hands. I've seen death up close and personal. Death was chasing me for a while. Right. And it, 100% it teaches you how to live and live well. And so, you know, born out of the losses was an amazing gratitude and abundance mentality for myself that I carry to this day. Um, born out of those losses with Alana Nugget, where a nonprofit that we have. That we've been building, it's called Alana's Angels. It's a 501c3 here in the state of Georgia, and it helps people that have been through losses themselves, from a miscarriage all the way to the the death of an adult child. Support services, contacts that are in place that can help people in Georgia or in the world, mm. um, and so that's what Alana's Angels' mission is: is to help people. And we've been through a lot of that, and we've we've always been leaders and coaches and mentors in a sense. So after learning these things and going through these things, we've we've it's a cathartic way to give back and help people um, because we've been through this. Mm-hmm. And so outside of that, so just, you know, spent about four or five years in banking, uh, was doing very well, but not happy. And so it led me back to my entrepreneurial roots. Um, I was recruited away from banking to become a state farm agent. It was just a pit stop in life. And it was the reason why it was threefold. Um, when, when I was approached and headhunted and recruited to become a state farm agent, I was like, I don't want to sell insurance. Like, I don't, I don't want to sell homeowners insurance. Uh, I, that's not what I want to do, but I did want to be an entrepreneur. And that was an option option there. They do have a bank and I came from banking. So that made sense. But they also dangled the carrot of, well, you know, because my interest at the time was wanting to become a financial planner. Once I've been in banking for a while, they said we do have a financial planning arm of our business. I was like, well, shit, I can be an entrepreneur. I can do what I'm really good at, which is banking. And I could build my financial planning career. I'm in. Long story short, did it for a year and a half. Hated it. Um, Had three employees. Had a brick and mortar in Dallas, Georgia. And uh, the reason why I hated it was it wasn't the opportunity that I wanted it to be, number one. I think I was trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. And number two, there was someone in my path that was called a sales leader um, that had control over my contract for the first 12 months. And after the first 12 months, if I didn't do well, um, in their eyes, for whatever their metrics were, whatever their initiatives or motivations were, they could say, you know what, we don't want you as an agent. So I had done about nine months in training and then I had to, the, the difference of the year and a half as an agent. So just under a year as an agent and the headbutting, the, um, the issues of not being on the same wavelength as human beings and not getting along with this sales leader. I didn't want them having control of like saying, we don't want you anymore. Mm-hmm. So at the end of about six or seven months of being an agent, I ended up, realizing it wasn't going to be for me. And before we got into debt or spending too much money, I wanted to pull the plug. Well, I had this conversation with Alicia, and she's seen me through a few different iterations and changes in my career. She's like, well, make sure you interview with a few companies before you just go start your own thing, because I wanted to go start my own company. Again, completely, on my own. Tedisco Financial is what it was going to be. It was going to be a financial planning firm for individuals and businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I interviewed with a few companies, local companies, national companies to be a financial planner with them. And um, it just wasn't for me. And so at the end of that five or sixth interview, I told Alicia, I was like, I'm going to do this on my own. So in January of 2017, we shut down State Farm, the Jesse Tedisco agency. February of 2017, a month later, we opened up Tidisco Financial. And for about two and a half years, we went on a run. Uh, we were doing financial planning, investments, insurance, and we were helping individuals and businesses realize their financial dreams and goals. But it was never truly the company I wanted because I was still working with other people, like a broker-dealer that had these sales goals, and I was getting paid on commission, and it just didn't feel right on the inside. And so I was introduced to another way of doing financial planning through my mentor and coach, Patrick Tucker, who's a fucking badass, amazing dad, amazing human being, amazing investment manager. And he taught me what was called what is called the RIA model, which is Registered Investment Advisory Firm. And so I could break away from the broker-dealer, I can run my own company, truly my own company, and I could do it on my terms. And the way that I run my business now, 46 and two wealth partners, and 46 and two, the story of that, real quick, is it's just the, it's the next step in human evolution. So as of right now, we have 46 chromosomes, DNA chromosomes, like 44 and two. The next step is 46 and two, and that's when we all become unified as a, as a people. And for me, that was huge. Evolution being unified, like all these concepts of 46 and two, made so much sense. And for a couple other business reasons, I changed the name. But 46 and two Wealth Partners is an investment advisory firm located here in Georgia, and we're a fiduciary, meaning we have to do what's in the client's best interest. Mm -hmm. And that's by design. There's a lot of there's 95% of financial planners that are not fiduciaries. Mm -hmm. What that means is I don't sell products and services. I don't take a commission. I can only do what's right by you, and when you win, I win. It's the perfect handshake. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you not want to do business like that? So that's what I do for 46 and 2 Wealth Partners, working with entrepreneurs, individuals, and families, showing them how to live their lives well today, memento mori, and never run out of money in the future. Mm -hmm. Outside of uh, 46 and 2 Wealth Partners, I have a podcast that I run called uh, The Jesse T Show. The Jesse T Show interviews entrepreneurs, thought leaders, creatives, and athletes, and shares their story, their hero's journey, because everyone has a story to tell. And there's so many different backgrounds, so many different people that have been on the show. We are like 50-something episodes in now. And people that are looking to level up in their business, their life, their relationships, or health and wellness tune into the show. And they take ideas from people that have traveled those roads that can show them how to get to where they want to be. And so that's what we're working on today between 46 and 2 Wealth Partners, The Jesse T Show, and Alana's Angels. I do have a book that I'm working on, but I don't want to bore you with that. Yeah, so there's a a lot lot going on. So
1: multifaceted, (laughs) so... Resilient, probably so busy. <laughs> um,
2: in a sense, yeah.
1: Yeah. So looking back and, like, hearing that story, how does life look today in terms of have you created the life that you
2: always wanted? Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely fucking beautiful. And I'm, like, feel like I, can, I'm, I could cry right now. Like, just got hit with a, a chill because— I am the luckiest son of a bitch in the world. I am absolutely the luckiest son of a bitch in the world. And the work has gone behind it, I get that. But like, I don't know if I have a horseshoe mass my ass or if there's a, a greater plan, but like I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't even be in, 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 in the context of everything I've been through, everything I've put myself through, where I started in life, I shouldn't even be in the game. The game's so fucking fun, right? And it's like, I am absolutely where I wanna be. I'm absolutely, um, in terms of, like, finance and family and faith and, and all the things that I deem important. Health and wellness. I'm really big into health and wellness. I'm absolutely where I want to be in life, and I'm just getting started. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like if I were to die today, right? And, I, and this has changed for me. For a while, I was okay with it. Like, I was like, yeah, I could die, but now that I have kids and I have things that I'm interested, like, whatever, dying is a little bit different for me. But if I were to die today, I would feel like a life fulfilled.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah, and then now it's just gravy. Every day I get a chance to live even further.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. I mean, I can, if you... To be able to say that right now is such a transformation from where we started this conversation and is really the crux of what are we doing here? To be able to say that, that I feel fulfilled in my marriage, in my role as a dad, in my career, that I'm not a different person in every one of those roles. I'm the same person and that my values and goals and all of that's aligned, like, that's an incredible thing. And it hasn't come easily. (laughs) But I think for anyone listening that hears the story, I think a resounding message in it is that it doesn't matter where you come from, what you're up against, what your situation looks like right now, it doesn't have to stay that way. I mean, would you say... That's
2: not... <laughs> you are in complete control of your destiny outside of, like, you know, thinking about God and faith and, like, what your plans are. And, like, you can't control that, but, like, you are completely in control of, like, how you respond to things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's your attitude. Like, your attitude should be in a place of abundance and gratitude and service, being of service to other people. Um, that makes me super happy. And, like, I think from looking at it, like, all these different things you mentioned from faith, family, financial, health and wellness you know, I call them silos, and I've heard this term a while back, but there's never going to be, there's no such thing as perfect balance in my mind. It's, can you take the time that you have, like, let's say I have an hour with the kids before they go to bed. Am I going to be on my phone, Mm -hmm. doing business stuff? Am I going to be escaping on Netflix? Like, Or am I going to be playing with them or teaching them something or learning something or rolling around on the floor with them and being a dad? Like, I do crazy shit with my kids. Like, I'll swing them around and throw them up. Like, I just, I'm a big kid. So, like, Are you present? And it's not always easy. And I'm not always present, but I'm mindful of it. And I'm like, okay, I need to be more present with my wife. I need to be more present with my kids. I need to be more present in my business, more present in this conversation. And I think that um, I'm just grateful to have every second in those moments.
1: Yeah, and it's just a beautiful picture of when you make a choice, how how things can turn around and start. And when you shift your perspective, too, that things aren't just always up against you. Because you have every reason to think like life is just a pain in the ass sure like it just serves up really hard shit and the cards i've been dealt were was a sucky hand i'm just gonna fold yeah you know what i mean and i'm fascinated by the people that choose to say no that's not gonna be my story and i can i can put these shitty cards down and pick up a new hand if i want to
2: yeah I think um, growing up, I was always an optimist in a sense. I always looked at like, the pie in the sky, and, but I became a realist. I understand the real life side of things. Mm-hmm. I just, I, it was never in my DNA, which is funny, that's like the, the logo of the company 46 and two. It was never in my DNA to quit completely, and it was never, because I had never quit on myself. Even though I had kind of given up in a sense, I had never stopped moving or sludging slowly forward. I had never given up, and I don't think it's in my DNA to give up. And I think people, when it comes down to it, it's 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 survival. And for me, it was, my whole life was survival until I learned how to look at it differently. And so, are you going to die or are you going to live? Mm-hmm. And I chose life all the time. I chose learning. So that's the one thing I could say too is I've always been a lifelong learner. I learn every day as much as I can because I don't know everything, and I don't ever want to. I don't ever want to arrive. I always want to be humble enough to know that i don't know everything and i like the journey of learning i love the process of going to masterminds or having a mentor being a mentor being a leader it's it's all cyclical and it just yeah
1: yeah i love that